Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here is one of our leaders, Sam Kayhart. Well, good morning, church. Let's give the Lord a praise in this house this morning. Let's give him a praise for what he's taking us from. Let's give him a praise for delivering us out of brokenheartedness. Give him a praise for taking us up from the dark places of this world. Let's give him a praise. Let's give him a praise this morning for dying on a cross so that we could live. For dying so that we could live. We are excited for what God is going to do in this place this morning. We're excited for what he's done in our lives. And we're excited for where he's taking us. Let's give him a praise for who he is. Who he is. Almighty God. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to welcome you all. If this is your first time here, welcome. We love God here, if you can't tell. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is what God's called us to. He's called us to love him. Um, we are uh, doing a message or a series on, on seasons and times. Uh, and so this is another extension of this series. There's been, I believe, four weeks now that we've been talking about this seasons, And we're coming out of Ecclesiastes 3. And we're talking about times and those seasons. So I just wanted to hit a little bit this morning, first off, on our key verse, which is Ecclesiastes 3.1. It says, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. There is a time. Time is something that constrains us. Time is something that we all deal with. There just never seems to be enough time, right? Um, I wanted to kind of show you guys something this morning. Y'all, can you all see this uh, hourglass? Yeah, right? Sweet. So we're going to tip this thing over, and I want, you, I, really, I want you to watch this thing as I tip it over, all right? I want you to watch it. All right, here we go. Did you guys see that? It happened quick. You see it? As soon as I tipped it over, it started running out of time. As soon as I tipped it over, the sand started falling. That could be the last time that hourglass ever gets tipped over. That could be the last time that grain of sand went through that neck. That could be the last exciting thing that sand ever felt. The moment you were born, you started running out of time. The moment you were born, time started leaving. God has only given us a specific amount of time. In this world, we are constrained by time. You can't tell me that any one of those pieces of sand knew that it was going to be the first one out. Knew that it was going to, if that was the last time that that piece of sand got to go, that he wasn't sure if he was going to be the first one or the last one. But he had to be ready to go through the neck. He had to be ready because his moment could be coming. And when his moment come, he had to take it with everything that he had and enjoy it because he never knew if it's going to come again. You were born for a time, a specific time. In the book of Esther, it calls that you were called at such time as this. A time you were put in this place for a time. There's a reason you weren't born when Jesus was here. There's a reason you weren't born in the 1800s. There's a reason you weren't born with horse and buggy. God has given you a time to do what he's called you to do. He knew that if you were in this time period doing what you're doing right now, being in this service right now, that something was going to affect your life, that something was going to come out of you, that you were going to be used for his purpose in some way, shape, or form. 
that that time that he's called you to is the time that he's given you the availability to reach to others, the ability to call out to those around you, the ability to be a light in a dark world. Time is running out. And I want you guys to remember that this morning as we go through this this time of seasons. Time is running out. So how we react to what's going on around us determines how we finish, determines how we come out that neck. Hopefully we don't use all this time, but uh, if we do, we can tip it over, right? right? Cool. All right. So the verse I'm going to be teaching on this morning is Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4. And it says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. When I first uh, heard that this was the one I was going to be speaking on, I was kind of like, man, I don't want to talk about emotions. I don't want to talk about, God, what do you got about emotions? About, you know, I don't think I'll talk about that. But when I started to dig into this, God started opening up something that we all deal with. He started opening up something that brings us to a place of vulnerability. It says a time to weep. That means basically, I wrote the meanings down here, but it basically means a time to bewail or to cry, shed tears. It's a a weeping. Weeping isn't pretty. We've all seen the ugly cry where your face goes, it's ugly. And it's not only ugly for people around you watching you cry. It's not that ugly, so don't worry about it. But, um, but it's ugly for the crier, especially if it's, it's, if it's weeping in pain, if it's weeping going through something. Weep and mourn are so close to the same. I looked them up. And mourn is nothing more than an external, more of an external expression of what it means to cry and bewail. And, and, and the, the, the meaning for mourn is basically to uh, bewail and with passionate expression of sorrow or regret and to lament. And it says to tear the hair and beat the breasts. There's a passionate expression of the mourning. We see weeping and mourning throughout the Bible. We... We see Sarah weeping because she can't have a child. You know, how many of us experience that? You're probably more than we even know. We see people mourning because it didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. They thought they'd be married by now. They thought that they would have everything God had called them to have. They thought they would be in the place that God called them to be in. Maybe they don't even know there's a God. Maybe they're just weeping because they didn't think that life was going to be this hard and if this is all life has to offer, it's time to get out and get out now. Weeping and mourning can have a big stance in our life. And then we look at the other side of it, a time to laugh and a time to dance. And I know the men out there probably aren't really all about talking about dancing and stuff like that, you know. But uh, I actually asked my wife, I was like, what do you want me to add to this, to this uh, sermon and she says, you should do a dance. <laughs> I was like, babe, I love you, but I don't know. So maybe, maybe we'll get there. But laughing and dancing brings joy. 
It brings joy, right? When you're laughing and having fun, and it doesn't mean that you have to be doing something that's good in God's sight to have fun, because we all know that we've done some, some not-so-good stuff and thought we had fun while doing it, right? We've laughed for things that we probably shouldn't have laughed at, that what we thought were funny. But laughing is a medicine for us. It's something that brings joy into our hearts and releases pain. So it's two different things, having a relationship together. What does it mean in the biblical realm? What does it mean? I want to go to James chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, and uh, explore this weeping and mourning. So in James chapter 4, 9, verse 9 through 10, it says, be miserable, and mo- be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, man. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. In this passage of Scripture, we see James talking about pride. If you read the beforehand and a little bit of the after, he's really, he's really working on something called pride something that we look at maybe call an ego or whatever it is, but that's the context of this verse. And he says, be miserable and mourn. Let your laughter be turned into weeping. Who wants to do that? Nobody. Nobody wants to go through pain. Nobody wants to experience hardship. Nobody wants to get to a place where they're crying. Nobody wants to... To say, oh, I'm having such a good time now. And be like, hey, do you want to come over here and weep and mourn with me for a while? People don't do that. Like, oh, I'm having a great time over here. Hey, you want to come over to my house? We'll cry for a while and then we'll talk about it. It'd be great. No, we don't do that. What does this mean, right? What does this mean? What it is is it's a stance that God takes us to. There's not one person in this room that hasn't been through a hard thing in their life. There's not one person in this room that probably has never shed a tear. And if you didn't shed a tear, you wanted to. There's not one person in this room that hasn't gone through something that has taken you places you thought you'd never be. And some of us are still going through those things today and wondering if it's ever going to end. But the stance of mourning and weeping, taking us from laughter and joy, taking us from what we thought was right, what we thought was good, to a stance of mourning and weeping, and from a stance of pain and undeniable ugliness. It's humbling yourself before God. We see in the Bible sackcloth and ashes. And I really thought this was cool when God brought this to my spirit I was like, well, okay, what is sackcloth and ashes? Sackcloth, sackcloth is a coarse black cloth made from goat's hair that was worn together with burnt ashes of wood as a sign of mourning, of mourning of personal and natural disaster, as a sign of repentance, and at times of prayer for deliverance. And I thought of Job when he lost his family. I think of Mordecai when he heard that the Jews were decreed to be killed. Job was in a stance of riches. He was in a stance of having everything. He was in a stance of really receiving everything life had for him, the blessings of God. And God poured out a lot on him. 
He gave him, he was the richest of the rich at the time. And then one day, it all vanished. And he went from seeing all the joy and the happiness in his life to being down in nothing but a pile of ashes. Sackcloth and ashes is a symbol of coming before God and humbling yourselves, knowing that there is nothing that we can control in this earth sometimes. There's nothing that we can say is going to happen or isn't going to happen. But we have to bring ourselves before the Creator and say, God, you control my life. You tell me what to do. And because I've seen the riches of this world, because I've seen the goodness that you can pour out, I'm going to embrace this time of mourning and weeping because I know that if I have done something wrong and it's for me to repent, that only in repentance am I going to receive the life yet again and only in humbling myself before you am I going to know what your goodness is again that I have to get down on my knees and cry out to the creator because he is the one that gives and takes away. He is the one that allows us to go through things. And I can tell you right now that if you're going through something and if you've gone through something, that it has brought you to a place, most likely, of the most passionate prayer you've ever been in your life. It's in our brokenness that we cry out. It's in our hardship that we become vulnerable. Because we walk around in our riches and our fame and everything that we see that we're doing that is good. And we say, we got it all. We're doing everything God wants us to do. We're receiving it all. This feels good. I got it. And then when God takes it away, we say, why? And we spend all our time trying to figure out why instead of getting before God. And now we're identifying ourselves with the mourning and the weeping. Man, God's going to show up today. Almighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A little story. This is one of the moments that I was at despair. I was 17 years old, and I was out in a bar that I should not have been in. And I drove there with another friend, and the bar closed about 2.30. We got out, we got in my truck, and we started heading home. And I had plenty to drink that night. And I got about two blocks. And the old blueberries and cherries started rolling up behind me. And I thought, God, this is the time to run or to take what's deserved of me. And so I sat there. I sat there. And at the moment, I really didn't know what was happening. I was just kind of like, well, whatever. It's going to be what it's going to be. But I can tell you after I was going through the test and when I was sitting in the back of that cop car, handcuffed, behind my back, being arrested, going to be taken to the hospital for blood tests, getting citations, that I was in a moment of despair because I knew the call that God had put on my life. I knew who God was. I knew that I wasn't in the situation that I needed to be in. And I knew that I could do better. And so I cried out to God, and I said, never again, God, if you take me out of this, if you just deliver me from this situation. And to make matters worse, it was a Saturday before Mother's Day, and I had to call my mom to come get me. Happy Mother's Day, Ma. Moments of despair. That's one of mine. And there's been more. But they call the vulnerability out of us. Because if we aren't willing to pursue God, God already came and did everything he was going to do on the cross. 
If you're asking God to pursue you, he came and he pursued. His word is in his cross. His word is in what Jesus did on that cross. He died so that I could be delivered from that cop car. He died because in my moment of mourning and weeping, I was going to be delivered. He was going to take me from my distress and my despair, and he was going to show victory. He knew I'd be here today just to tell the story. If I'd have had the choice, I would have said, I don't want to go through that. Even if he would have shown me this, he would have probably been like, you don't know how the impact. Did he want me to go through it? No, he didn't want me to go through that, but he knew that I would grow from it. Does God want you to go through the mourning and the weeping that you're going through? Does he want you to go through the despair you're going through? No. But he knows you're going to grow from it because he makes all things for good. All things. There is a purpose for it. It don't seem like it. You say, he's the worst person I've ever met in my life. He's beating me every day. And I don't know how to get out. And I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. All I can tell you right now is you call out to the Father, Almighty God. In Jesus' name, and he'll open doors, and he'll take you from that morning and the weeping, and he's going to renew your life, and he's going to take you to a new area that you've never seen before. I want to go a little bit farther into this. Let's, let's go to Ezekiel uh, chapter 11, verse 19 through 20. So this time, Ezekiel is, is with the exiles, and he's with the exiles from Jerusalem in Babylon, they got taken. Basically, Israel was a nation looking away from God. They were looking to idols. They were looking to the things of the world. And that will really tie in here when we start looking at this. Verse, nine, verse 19 says, And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. At this moment, we see Ezekiel prophesying the restoration that God was going to bring to Israel. But I can tell you right now, as he's receiving this prophecy, the thing that he sees is he sees people crying. He sees people in sackcloth. He sees people covered in ashes. He sees people weeping to God, wondering, why have we been exiled? Why have we been taken captive? Why have we been taken slaves? And made to do what they want us to do. Some of them have been cut off from their families and put in places they never thought they'd be in. And finding themselves abandoned from their own home country, the promised land that God said he would give them. And now he's giving us this word of restoration in an environment of destruction. And we have to say, you mean I can believe that? You mean that this is truth? God, you say this, but I'm experiencing this? God, you say I'm a child of God, but I'm being beaten every day, but my... What I'm seeing is not what I'm reading. Our weeping in our mourning puts us in an environment so that we have the ability to show God who we really are, to come before him. He says that he's going to give them a new heart. You know why they needed a new heart? When he gave them the land, he was with them. He was moving amongst them. He was driving out armies. The power of God was going before them. And then they started 
to look to the idols. They call them the Asherim, to the other gods of the other peoples, saying, well, this is what the world's following. We're the only ones following this God that we can't even see. Everybody else has a God that they pray to, that they can see, that they can go to, that they can feel and touch. And they start going after all these things of the world. Isn't that what we do in our mourning and our weeping? That we get to the point that we say, if this is life, all, ha- all life has to offer, that I'm going to go do everything that I need to do. I'm going to go find pleasure in other things. I can't find pleasure at home. I can't find pleasure at work. I can't find pleasure because I'm, I'm always distressed. Uh, the identity that I had when I was a child, everything I grew up as, everything I, I came through, everything I was abandoned of, I'm going to take that and I'm going to numb it. I'm going to go find pleasure. Because we want to see the pleasure, right? So we go out and we drink. We go out and we have sex. We go out and we look at pornography. We go out and we lie and we steal and we cheat and we destroy. And if we say, if we can make other people feel like we feel, then it'll all be okay. We go out and we do all these things. And we try to make ourselves better. We try to make ourselves feel better. But in the moment of our laughter... In the moment of our fun, in the moment of what we are doing, the morning comes and the sorrow is still there. We can't escape it. And we'll indulge and indulge and indulge until even the pleasures of this world are numb to us. And now as we go out and we drink and we do all these things, we find no joy in it. But yet it's become something a part of our lives. And now there's sorrow in the night and there's sorrow in the morning. And we can't free ourselves of it. And the very thing we thought we were healing ourselves of, we could just take it and make it ours. We hide it from everybody. There's a reason we go out in the night and do this stuff. Because we only, the only people that see it are the ones that are seeking with you. A bird of a feather flocks together. You feel comforted about the other ones around you that are broken in your brokenness. And God wants to take this heart of stone that we've created. I was talking to Pastor Matt about this. It was really awesome. He said, you know what? A stone is cold. And I'm like, oh, that's good revelation right there. You know why? Because a stone is cold. We don't feel things. It's hard. I was thinking about it after I met with him and talked to him about that a little bit. And I was thinking, you know, I'm a farmer. And when I pick stones in the field, that stone don't come to me. It just sits there. It does. I got to go pick it up and remove it. It just sits there and it's hard, it's heavy, and it does not want to move. How many of us are like that? This heart of stone is cold. I don't care how you feel. All I care is about who I am. It's hard. You're not going to say anything that's going to affect me. And it doesn't want to move. No reason for me to go to church. I know what life is about. This is it. It's all I got. This is where I'm at. And we don't want to move. We don't want to change our identity. And we're put in places <laughs> that we say, this is it. This is it. I just, this is where I'm at. And we become hardened. That's where the Israelites are at. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And they kept killing them. They were speaking truth. And because it wasn't what they wanted to hear, they killed them. If you keep killing truth, all you're going to have is lies. 
No wonder you keep believing them. Hallelujah. Man. God takes us heart of stone. He takes us where we've numbed ourselves to the pleasure of the world and the pleasures of anything we've ever known. And he takes the numbness that we have and the pain and the destruction and the sorrow that we've gone through. And he gives us a heart of flesh. And he says it just removes it. When I pick that stone up out of that field, it's removed. I don't have to worry about hitting it with a tractor. I don't have to worry about running it through a haybine and destroying all the sharp sickles, the chopper destroying the knives. I don't have to worry about all the destructive things that the stone does because the stone no longer exists. It was taken in fullness and now replaced with a heart of flesh. What about flesh? Flesh is warm. It feels. It has, it has feeling. It cares about itself. And it also cares about others. It will move for others. It has feeling. When I talk about emotions. A lot of times I'm like, don't trust your emotions. Because if we make a decision in our emotions... It's usually not a good decision. But God wants us to have feeling. There's a reason we have feeling. Because it allows us to reach out and touch other people. It allows us to speak to people in their brokenness. It allows us to have laughter and have joy. He gives us that ability to do that. Some of us might have stones in our heart today. We might have been coming to church for 10 years. And we come, we show up, we do the same thing we always do. As long as I see I'm here, as long as I see that I'm praising God, as long as I see that I'm doing everything that God has called me to do in this moment and in this place, I'm good. And we go through the motions. We've numbed ourselves to the words of God. We've numbed ourselves to the only thing that can deliver us. The Israelites numbed themselves to the only thing that could deliver them. Did God give up? No, he kept sending prophets. He sent prophets until he had to send his own son. And even 2,000 years later, he says, you can, you can have me. You can have this heart of flesh. You can have this heart. You can, you can get rid of your heart of stone. You can get rid of the numbness. You can get rid of the identity of the mourning and the weeping and the pain that you've gone through. And you can cast it on me. You can cast it on me. And I'll take it away. I'll replace it with something of joy and laughter and dancing. Almighty oh, God. I want to I talk a little bit about, um, man, I could stay on that all day. I want to talk a little bit about Lazarus. And so let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, I'm going to start in verse 4. I'm only going to read verse 4 for now, but we'll go from there. It says, but when Jesus heard this, He said, this sickness is not to end in the death, in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. He was talking about Lazarus. Who's Lazarus? Lazarus is the brother of a woman called Mary and a woman called Martha, and they were people that Jesus ran into. Mary is is the woman. It says in this passage of Scripture that she is the woman that came before Jesus and washed his feet with her hair. Um, so that's, it's their brother. 
And it also says in this passage that this was a man that Jesus loved. This was a man that Jesus was close with, so that he was like a friend to Jesus. He was very close to Jesus. And they come to Jesus, because Jesus is in a far country. He's a, he's a ways away, right? A couple days out. And they tell him, hey, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. He's got this sickness. And Jesus says, okay. And he waits two more days. He waits two more days. And sometimes we say, why is God waiting? Why is God waiting two more days? <laughs> And this is a scripture that, that you can lean on in your waiting. This sickness is not going to end in death, but it is going to end in the glory of God. We have sickness. We have sickness. Our sickness is what causes pain. Our sickness is what causes mourning. Our sickness is not only sin. And you say, why do, why do I have to change if all my mourning, all my pain has come from other people? Because we're all born in sin. As soon as sin came on this earth, we were born in it. It is our identity from the very birth, from the very moment time starts running out. It is our identity. It is what we struggle with. It is what we see as a, as a normal thing in this world. God is going to use what you've gone through so that he would be glorified, so that he would be lifted on high. And Jesus says this, and, and the disciples, they just, they weren't very, you know, intuitive. And, okay, you know, and so then they, they wait two days, and Jesus travels to where Lazarus was at, which was Judea. And as they're traveling there, or when Jesus says, let's go after two days, they're like, Lord, let's not go there. We could die. Because they were trying to kill Jesus. So that's why they thought Jesus was holding back two days because they, were, they, they thought that they were going to come kill him. They thought well, they would just pray from a distance. And so Jesus says, let's go. And, and the disciples are like, wait, 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 wait. You're the power of God. We can just pray here, you know. They're trying to kill us. They're trying to take us. So when God wants to show up, there ain't nothing that's going to stop him. Okay. God wants to show up, and nothing's going to stop him. Nothing's going to hold him back. As soon as you allow him to come in, he's coming in. And oh, I got to hit this. This is something that uh, God showed me when uh, when I was worshiping. Now, I didn't have a plan, but we're going to read it. And so there's no slide for it. So verse 7 says, then after his, this, his, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's verses 7 through 10, if you're wondering. If we walk in the day, we don't stumble because we, we walk in the natural light of the world. But if we walk at night, we stumble because we can't see. <laughs> when I read this, I was like, Lord, I don't because I was reading this whole thing over. I was like, Lord, what is this? I don't really get what you're talking about here. Like, I get what you're saying, but I don't get what you're saying. And as I was worshiping, 
He says to me, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. What was there before light? Darkness. Darkness was before light. We can walk in day when there's sun out, when the light that he created is shining down and not stumble. But the only way that we're going to be able to walk through the night is if we walk by the glory of God. If we walk by the Shekinah glory of God, the light that he declared into the earth when he created it. It is here. All you have to do is receive it. That's how we make it through the night. Because they were afraid. They feared the night. Because they couldn't see it. They didn't have lights like we have today. When David says that uh, the the word of the Lord is like a... uh, Lamp into my feet and light into my fat. They had little ankle lamps, right? They put them on their ankles. And what did it do? Well, it shone the next step. It didn't shine the whole path like our big flashlights do, but the next step. And the only way to see the step beyond that step was to take a step. So some, there's somebody here today, God Almighty, there's somebody here today that is afraid to step out of the morning and the sour that they're in because they're afraid of what the step after that takes because they can't see it. But the only way you're going to get anywhere is if you're willing to move you got to be willing to move. God came from heaven to earth to save you. He moved. All you got to do is take a step. And then when you can see the next step, you got to keep stepping. You know, you almost act like a robot where you're like, okay, wait a little bit and then step again because now you can see the light. And you think that you're trying to wait for the light to catch up, but the light is already (laughs) your whole lifetime ahead of you. He's just only showing you one step at a time because he knows if you saw the whole thing, you would do it the way you think you should do it. Right? Oh, man. You guys show me that for me. That's good. So Jesus is, is, is going to Lazarus. And when he gets to Lazarus, we got we to keep moving here. My sand's going to run out. So um, when he gets to Lazarus, we're going to read uh, John 11, verses 23 through 26. It says, Jesus tells Martha that her, her brother will rise again. So at this point, Lazarus has actually died. And when Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So they all hoped it had been gone. They were like, the sickness killed him. The sickness, you know, it took away his life. He's gone. And there's a lot of weeping and mourning going on there. So he gets there. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Oh, I'm going to stop there because it's got to be said. Some of us are so intuitive and so into the Bible that we take the knowledge that we have and we say, I know God, this is what your word says. This is what your word says. But that revelation that he was trying to give to Martha was not for her knowledge sake, but it was revelation for her spirit, right? And she was saying, I know God. I know what you're talking about. I know that he's going to resurrect in the, in the life to come. I know that there's going to be a resurrection. And I know that you've called that to be. How many of us come to church and we, we, there's people that are trying to speak into our lives and we say, I know what you're talking about. I know what the scripture says. I've, I've got, I've read it. I've been coming to church for 15 years. I know the ins and the outs and I know where I'm going and where I should be. I got this. You know, I show up on Sunday. You know I'm here. It makes you think I need your help. Whew. And then, then, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus gives her an answer that's beyond just the resurrection of life. He says that if anyone who believes in me will not die but live, and anyone who dies still lives. And we think, what? How does this work? Death cannot constrain us that believe in God. Death does not hold us. But in our death, see, we, when we pass through death, we don't pass, we don't die and then pass, but our spirit will never die. Our spirit goes from this body directly to Jesus. As soon as the breath of life leaves the body that he created, as soon as the breath of life is removed, that breath of life goes back up to the Father. Even in Lazarus' death, he still lived. In the death that we have when we sacrifice ourselves to God, the death of our worldly desires, of our worldly wants, of our worldly things, the death of our identity and who we used to be, the mourning and the weeping and the sorrow and the pain, the death of that stuff, there is life. He's calling life. He says, there is life. And he takes us through this in a whole new way. They were focused on the death of Lazarus. Jesus said that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he reflects that in this verse. That just because you see a man physically dead does not mean he's not living. He says, they saw Lazarus dead in the tomb. Jesus saw Lazarus alive in Christ. John 11, verses 33 through 35 says, Jesus wept, right? When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you led him? Or laid him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. I didn't know this, but Pastor Matt says it's the shortest verse of the Bible. So get your memorizing on. Yeah, yeah. You got this. He wept. And I think this is very significant. Because we think that this God that is above all glory, that is the creator of the heavens and the earth, that he has no feeling. But he saw the pain of his people. He sees your pain this morning. He sees what you've gone through. He sees what you're going through. And he's weeping. And it says that he was troubled. And I looked up that word troubled in the verse before. And it means to like boil up. It means to move. Move in a way. He was troubled. So he moved. He wept because he saw them weeping. And he comes before the grave of Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And they're probably all thinking, this guy is nuts. First, they wanted them to open the grave up. They were like, this guy stinks now. It's been four days, he stinks. Now he's yelling for him to come. Jesus, he's been dead for four days. Jesus, I've been in this sickness for my whole life. 
Why do you want me to come to you? He says, Lazarus, come. He's calling your name this morning. And he's telling you to come. He's calling you out of the grave. I ran out of the grave. I did. I personally can tell you this morning that I ran out of the grave. Because God was calling me. I didn't answer the first time or the second time. But when I answered, I ran out of the grave. And when the light hits the darkness, the darkness can't handle it. It has to flee. The morning has to go. Now for the second portion, the joy and the dancing. You've been going through so much pain in your life. And in Psalms, it says that the morning shall last for the night. But, but, joy will come in the morning. You've been trying to put joy at night. You've been trying to put the joy at the night. But the weeping and the sorrow has been in the morning. But we give God our morning. God our sorrows. And the joy will come. It will come. And Isaiah, it says that we draw water from the wells of salvation with joy. That means joy is the bucket I draw with. If I can't have joy in the morning, if I can't have joy through my sorrow and my pain, I can't draw water from the wells of salvation. Salvation is life. We gotta draw life out of what God has called us to. We gotta draw life out of what He did on the cross. You think it was easy? You think He didn't cry a little bit when they were beating Him and when they were nailing Him to that cross and when He was carrying every sin of the world up that hill so that He could die for you? That He could take away your pain? God is calling you out of the grave this morning. He's calling you. And He wants you to see the light. He has a purpose for your life, and it's not mourning and weeping. That's a time and a season. We have to move out of that time sometimes. We can't just identify ourselves in that time because time is running out. That mourning and weeping is preparing you for this neck. It's preparing you for this neck. It's preparing you for the time that God has called you to come forth. Get before God. We need to humble ourselves that we cannot do this on our own, that we cannot stand and weeping and mourning our entire lives, that this has been something that we've dealt with. This is something that we say, this is the way I am because of this, because of this, because of this. Get rid of it because of this and say, this is who I'm going to be because of Christ. It's who I'm going to be. My God. There's some of you guys here that are just You've been through some pain. You've been through some sorrow. And I get it. I've been there. I might not have experienced everything that you've gone through. I might not have experienced the pain that you've seen. There are people that have dealt with deaths. That have dealt with life-altering things. Maybe even disabilities. Maybe things that have just taken them from a whole different standpoint in their life. That have just changed everything. And that you're to the point that that's all you see. We've got to see the joy and the laughter. We've got to dance before God. David wanted to bring the glory of God into Judah. And the ark had been lost for years. And he goes and he grabs the ark and he made a sweet, awesome cart for it with wheels and stuff. And he says, I can, I can bring the glory into the camp. 
But you know what? The ark was never meant to move that way. And when they're moving the ark, it hits a pothole. You ever hit a pothole? And you get jolted a little bit. And the ark starts to tip, and Uzzah reaches out to save the ark because he's got it. it in the house of Obed-Edom and he gets blessed he gets blessed for three months and David sees the blessing and he turns from his attitude his attitude of God you're killing my people God if this is really what you wanted why did you do it this way but you know what first off David tried to bring the ark in his own way not the way that it was designed to move it was designed to be carried by the tribe of the Levites Quit trying to move your pain in your own way. Quit trying to move and become who you think you should be. And allow God to come in. Pursue Him. God has called us to a newness of life. And if you've not experienced this newness of life this morning, He is using me as a vessel to call out to you, come forth. Come forth. He wants to give you joy and laughter. And I'm not going to tell you that there won't be any more sorrow and pain, no more mourning, but he wants to give you something that you can hold on to, something that is solid. He wants to remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He wants to make something new in your life, and he wants to create in you a new creation. All things, old things are passed away. Old things don't identify you anymore. You can't look back at the past. All you can do is continue to go towards what God has for you. Everybody could close their eyes this morning. I just want to pray. And I want to ask you a few questions. And I really believe that Jesus is calling. He's calling you. And maybe you've been walking with God for a while, but you, you continue to identify with this past life. And you're not sure how to be released from it. Sometimes we got to speak these things out. Sometimes we got to give all authority and power to God. Maybe you're here and you, you this is the first time you've heard of Jesus and you're thinking this guy is nuts. But I'm here to tell you that he raises the dead. He raised me. He took me from a dead life and made all things new. If you're here this morning and you feel any kind of pull of the spirit that is moving in this room and you're experiencing any kind of bondages, that are pulling on you. I want you to slip up your hand. Uh, Nobody's looking around. I want you to slip up your hand and I want you to cry out to God. It doesn't have to be verbally or anything like that, but God is calling you this morning. Don't be afraid. I see you. He wants to heal you. He wants to move in you. He wants to take you. He wants to take you. He wants to take you and mold you and create in you a new heart. Those 
of you that raised your hand and haven't experienced for Christ for the first time, I want you to repeat after me and we'll have everyone repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would come into my heart today. I repent of all my sins. And I ask that you would take them all away. I pray for a new identity. I pray that your blood would be over me. And I pray, Lord, that you would make me anew. I believe in you. In Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. And those of you that are are with God and have known God for a while, I just want to pray a quick prayer over you that are experiencing sorrow, that are experiencing hurt, that are not sure where to go. So if you'd all close your eyes, let's just pray. Dear me, Father, Lord, I pray for those that are brokenhearted. I pray for those that are experiencing identity of the past. I pray for those, Lord, that don't know where to go. I pray for those that aren't sure what to do with what you have shown them in their life so far. I pray for those that are finding identity, Father God, in the things of this world, that are trying to experience everything around them, Lord, that, it, that they're trying to do it themselves. I pray freedom in their life this morning, that they would be freed in Jesus' name, that joy and laughter would come and just indwell in them, Father God. And Lord, that they would get humble before you and get on their knees and repent and ask for deliverance through this time of disaster. I pray for a spirit of joy over them, Jesus. I pray that even in the brokenness of where they're at, that they would be able to see the light of your glory. And Lord, I pray that the darkness would run and try and find a place to hide. I pray, Father God, Lord, that your blood would be over the doorframe of every person in this building, Father Jesus, Lord. That no devil or demon would be able to have his way in the hearts or the minds of his people, Jesus. But that you have called us to freedom. Because it was for freedom that you set us free. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let's give a shout of joy for God this morning. God is good. Jesus is amazing. And if you're struggling with something, I really, really encourage you to come find prayer this morning. Because when you come together with people and agree on one thing, God is there with you. And you're going to see deliverance. Let's worship God in this place. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.